silly is that? What are we talking about? Let's go do basketball. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hoop Dreams, the basketball podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, of course, powered by Audio-Technica. My name is Matthew Tilby. I am not joined by my regular co-hosts, John O'Peck and Brendan White, this week. They're unavailable at this point in time, but uh, in their place is a very special guest all the way from New York City. It is SB Nation writer and content creator, Seth Rosenthal. Seth, how you doing? Doing fantastically. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to uh, we'll have the podcast's first uh, special guest on the show. So this has always been... Uh, something we've wanted to do for quite some time, but um, we've got you on for a very specific reason um, as we will be starting our season preview on this episode as we'll be taking a look at all of the NBA's divisions um, as we start with the Atlantic Division, uh, of course, where you're from um, in the that particular part of the world. But uh, before we do that, I did want to let people know about what you do uh, at SB Nation. Of course, writer and content creator is a pretty vague term, but a lot of the stuff that you've been making, um, segments and articles, especially uh, series on SB Nation's YouTube, um, can you give us a little bit of insight as to what sort of content um, goes on at SB Nation? Um, at our YouTube page and increasingly at the website itself, we're trying to be sort of a companion to watching sports and less so in the sense of like, here's what happened last night, you know, here's what's coming tonight, here's analysis of the big trade that just happened, uh, and keeping abreast of, of news and going on, and more, you know, uh, here are some names you're going to hear in your life as a sports fan, and here is some information about this person's career, here are some important moments and events in the past that give you some context for today. Um, the The mission statement is sort of to tell stories to explain things and to experiment and to make uh you know whether it's videos or editorial pieces um stuff for people to enjoy that's somewhat evergreen and that you know allows you to be a more more knowledgeable um a more knowledgeable sports fan with better context and better understanding of things so you know it's it's talking a lot about history it's talking a lot about stuff that can be somewhat niche or stuff that just helps you better understand sports. But um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a couple of years we've been doing that now, and uh, I'm pretty proud of what we've done. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've been watching uh, you guys do, especially things like Beef History and, and Rewinder, um, and especially the new series that you guys have put out called High Score, it's very sort of um, off-brand or off-kilter. It's sort of looking at things um, away from the usual uh, side of, of, of sport in general. Um, what sort of motivated you to sort of think of things like um, high score? Have you always been that sort of person who's really looked at um, odd sort of stats and, and, and statistical anomalies in, in things like basketball and, uh, and baseball? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as just a sports nerd, that is how I spend a stupid amount of my time <laughs> is going back through... <laughs> old articles, old stats, old records and things like that and just wondering what the stories are there and to have that be how I spend my time at work is very rewarding. Um and and that is and that is sort of the the mission is whether it's high score where it's like where you know we have the opportunity to say there is a reason there's a story behind this person having say the most most turnovers in a game in NBA history or whether it's a series like collapse you know where we just did an episode about the Knicks and I I tried to make the case that like the Knicks didn't just happen you know the Knicks being bad if if mm. you've been an NBA fan for just a few years uh you might not understand how the Knicks used to be really good when I was a kid and how when you were a kid, they've been bad. And uh, mm. so, you know, this these series, whether it's focusing on a single moment like Rewinder or focusing on two people's relationship like Beef History, often have some thread that continues through today that, you know, I, I, I ideally some light bulbs go off where you're like, oh, wow, this, you know, this reminder about Allen Iverson has Teron Lue in it. And that, like, I remember that guy from coaching, you know, the Cavs recently and, and things mm -hmm. like this that, um, 
basically any story you tell, especially if it's in the last 20 or 30 years, is going to have some faces, some characters, some rules, uh, some occurrences, just that either echo or actually, you know, still show up in today's sports. And that's the fun part is kind of, you know, every, you'll, you'll show a Woj article sometimes in, in a piece that covers something from 20 years ago, and people can kind of put together that the things that are that, that typify and color sports these days have their origin somewhere else and in something else and, and that's part of the part of the job and something that I, I take to naturally and have always fascinated over myself and so it's it's fun to get to share that. It's certainly uh, an interesting place to work it seems uh, given the amount of crazy, uh, stories you get to tell and uh, certainly if you ladies and gentlemen are looking for some very interesting sporting content head on over to SB Nation and their YouTube channel to check all of that out but right now we are here to talk about the Atlantic Division um, and it could be argued probably the division in the league that's seen the most upturn in terms of star talent especially in the last couple of years of course um, obviously the Raptors winning the championship last year but um, We'll start alphabetically, so we'll go through um, and start with the Boston Celtics, a team you, you could probably say, Seth, have, have really, they've hit a fork given um, how obviously Kyrie's now left for, for Brooklyn um, and they've brought in guys like Kemba Walker, um, Enos Cantor has come in as well to sort of fill in the role that Al Horford has, um, has created given he's left for the 76ers, but there's... An interesting sort of dynamic uh, coming through here as I'm looking through the ins and outs of the team. Um, you've got obviously guys like Cantor and Kemba, but the rookies are really looking like the big um, story for Boston. Guys like Tremont Waters, Romeo Langford, and especially Carson Edwards. I think you are a big fan of, of Carson Edwards, aren't you? Yeah, I just, I mean... I- I can't say I was terribly familiar with him before this summer, but watching him in Summer League... Summer League is a great stage to see not so much how a team is going to do or how players are going to work together, but if, if a guy has moves, if he has some built-in mm. skills, um, that is a, a great opportunity in a more NBA-style setting against players that are a little more NBA caliber. You know, If you can get by, by those guys, if you can find your own shot, if you can create for teammates in that setting, that's usually a pretty good sign. And Edwards just looked so confident his shots went in you know things looked really refined um and i don't think he's going to be because they still have quite a good roster even after suffering some losses i don't think he's going to be a major contributor on that team but um you know they did lose they lost terry rozier also which like i feel like everyone focused on the fact that the hornets made a bad signing but like there there went a you know a useful part of the celtics bench um Mm. and so they have more than just you know, a star or two to replace. And Edwards, I think, strikes me as someone who will immediately be a contributor off the bench. He's not a huge guy, but he really can score. And he just... There are some guys who can who can do stuff with the ball at a young age that makes it pretty clear that, at the very least, they can be rotation NBA players. And he, he seems like one of those to me. Yeah, obviously, you know, you, you talked about Summer League and the fact that, you know, you're looking at not so much about the the wins and losses but it's the performance of the players um i believe you've actually been obviously when it was way back and and you know pretty much in gyms in las vegas and, and whatnot but um what sort of things are you looking for when you're sort of looking at these sort of players and sort of grading and and sort of scouting these sorts of talents because obviously guys coming through um in summer league can obviously be signed to training camps um, of course, the obvious example for Boston is Taco Fall, who's been this amazing, you could say, success story coming through um, in the NCAA last season. He's been invited to the training camp. But, I mean, if you were looking at a guy like Taco Fall, like, what sort of things do you look for when you're at a sort of summer league game? It's It's such a small sample and such a strange setting where lineups might not make sense, teams might be kind of stacked against one another and, and not... I don't know, the games might not always be fair. Um, And so I tend to look at it, for better or worse, very, very narrowly um, to sort of break it down into moments as if you were watching film. And so uh, a player's stat line in a game can't really matter that much. 
I'm, I'm less concerned with whether the shots went in, when, whether the guy you're guarding's shots went in, and more like, okay, was it a good shot? How did you get the shot? Um, how did you, you know, what decision did you make coming over a pick and roll? Um, sort of a process over results type thing, because, you know, you only play four or five games, and so if you happen to be cold, it's not the end of the world. The question is more like, did your form look good? Did you shoot when you were open? Uh, hmm. did you, did you penetrate lanes when they were there? Did you make the pass when it was available? Did you shuffle your feet on defense? And, you know, every once in a while you can look at something and be like, okay, well he's facing an NBA player right now. And this is an NBA kind of set you would see, you know, depending on how the team is coached and how he navigated that moment. Like there's a data point. And for each person, you might only get a handful of data points, even if they're playing a lot. Um, right. So, I, you know, it's never enough to completely extrapolate, but it is enough to sometimes say, oh, okay, so he has that. He has that arrow in his quiver. He has that tool in his bag. Um, so, you know, whether I were a coach or a fan, like that is something I, I would expect that player to be able to do. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you've, you've got to look at those sorts of players, guys like Carson Edwards and guys like Taku Fall who have been using that snapshot quite well to sort of prove that, you know, they might be ready for that opportunity. But... Um, I think the two biggest sort of areas of as we sort of move back into the, the Celtics sort of lineup um, to look really in, in high profile is uh, the point guard position obviously now being filled by Kemba Walker and um, the center position, obviously Al Horford leaving for Philadelphia as well as Aaron Baines uh, moving over to Phoenix. That sort of leaves a big hole that you've got Enos Cantor there and then maybe Tucker Fall as the sort of reserve center. Um, what sort of pieces sort of fit for them best in that sort of situation because obviously they're they're well blessed with a whole bunch of nice wing players you know guys like Marcus Smart Jason Tatum but these two areas do you feel like they're the sort of crucial points for them if they're going to make any sort of inroads this season it's possible I mean to start with it this is sort of a meme at this point but Brad Stevens genuinely does seem to fare better with a little bit more of a like younger, more balanced, less less star-laden team. And maybe he just had sort of bad luck last the last couple of years where Kyrie just wasn't a guy who's, whose personality he could handle. Um, but I could see there being a bit of a relief culturally with the Celtics. We've heard players like Smart say that, you know, just the locker room was weird last season. So I think there, there's a little bit of everyone getting along and feeling like the pressure has been relieved a bit that could help them. Um, but like you said, they, they're sort of, they're not bottom heavy or top heavy. They're kind of fat in the middle where they have, you mentioned Hayward, Smart, Tatum, Brown. Um, they have a bunch of guys who will want to guard the same people, will occupy some of the same spots on the floor. And obviously those are not identical skill sets I just mentioned, but, um, whereas with Horford gone, yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but Ennis Cantor is... I guess the starting center that he's the best big man they have. And that is, is not a glut. That's sort of a tough situation. If you're going to be depending on taco fall, or if you're going to, you know, have the middle of your defense be Ennis Cantor. I think they're, I think they're, you know, they'll still be a good team. They're well coached. And I think probably better suited for Stevens at this point than they were even with a slightly better on paper roster. Um, Mm. I, I suppose I could see them making a trade to, not have to depend on Ennis Cantor, you know, maybe maybe deal away <laughs> one of those wings. Cantor's not a bad player, but I'm I'm very interested to see how he does in a team that has a pretty good defensive system, um, and you know was anchoring that defensive system around Al Horford, who's one of the smartest defensive players in the world last season. Because um, Cantor is not that, you know, not f- not for lack of trying. He just kind of has never gotten it and hasn't had the foot speed. Um, mm. But yeah, I I think they'll be, you know, I, I just think the expectations are different for for them this season, and that can be quite a good thing, even if the roster looks a little depleted. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they sort of fit into their defensive style, I guess, um, and and really that team in general after. Um, the sort of departures of, of Kyrie, but I think they'll be sort of there or thereabouts the season like they were for the last sort of couple of seasons. So I really don't see them, you know, falling off the, you know, in in too big a fashion. But 
really a team that's now sort of coming up um, on the opposite end is, of course, the Brooklyn Nets, who you could argue made probably the two biggest acquisitions of the free agency uh, window, guys like Kyrie and, of course, now Kevin Durant. But this is sort of an interesting period for them because you're, you're bringing in a lot of star talent to sort of mesh with guys who are on the up and have you know provided them probably their best sort of period since they moved to Brooklyn and then obviously had their uh, pretty disastrous trade and they've now gotten out of that. But um, I wanted to ask, like, how many wins do you think Kyrie can bring to the team? Because obviously they, they were on a pretty sort of solid up, you know, given that they had guys like D'Angelo Russell coming through. Joe Harris was was creating a lot of um, offense and, and Jarrett Allen was a monster down in the low post. But this sort of opportunity for them, I should say, to sort of really bring in the star talent, do you think that might disrupt them or do you feel like it's going to be nothing but a good thing? It, it feels to me like, first of all, Kyrie is a pretty natural fit. It's not going to take a long time to figure out how he meshes, especially because D'Angelo Russell's gone. So I, I don't worry about that having much of a, you know, this learning period. And then, un, unlike some other teams that have added superstar players, the Nets, first of all, have a bunch of guys in place that are already quite good, fit together well, you know, made the playoffs last season, um, or at least, you know, won 40-something games. And mm. they also made some really nice signings. Like, they have a bench... And when they were handing out the, you know, the rest of their salary and the minimum contracts, they didn't say do what the Lakers did last season and bring in like Michael Beasley and Rajon Rondo and like a <laughs> bunch of guys who don't really make sense, don't fit in the locker yeah. room, don't have games that complement their stars. They got, you know, Wilson Chandler, um, Garrett Temple. They got really savvy veterans who are comfortable coming off the bench, who know their roles, who have limited but predictable and 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 fungible games and yeah no I think that's a 50 something win team even with Durant out this year I think um Karis Levert who you know him him missing a bunch of last season almost threw them off completely um he'll be healthy and I I kind of think he has star potential I think he Mm. could be with Kyrie and Durant as the obvious top two guys, I think he has a very strong chance, at least within the starting lineup, of being a, like a very good third option, not just like, well, he's the only other guy we could afford who's still around. I really think he's quite a good player who, you know, absent those two would be a, a 20-something point scorer and a, and a sort of A-type guy on other teams. And um, so yeah, I just think with with the incumbent players, with the guys that they brought in, they've made a lot of really good choices. They've gotten lucky, and they they have stuff that they they have a roster that already fits together. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's unlike some other sort of super teams that have been put together. And I think they're they're in good shape to look really good and make sense from day one. Yeah, I, I think you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Given you know the guys coming through, even guys like Torian Prince, who was who's traded from Atlanta um, and sort of did away with the the large contract for Alan Crabb. I think that's a, a very sort of wise maneuver there. Um, one of the guys who was part of that team last season, who was on the up, was of course Jarrett Allen, who has you know come on in in leaps and bounds uh, within the last sort of two years, you could say, but. He's now going to sort of play um, a, or a competitive role to uh, DeAndre Jordan, who's now uh, come across from the Knicks. How do you see this playing out? Obviously, Jordan probably not at his his peak. He's probably on the downturn, uh, but still a, a very you know capable defensive pair of hands. And obviously, Jarrett Allen being this sort of bustling young um, center, there's there's obviously going to be a time when they may butt heads or they might you know, have to sort of play off each other. What do you think is going to happen there? There's, there's, Because oh, obviously one's only going to have to win out. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's not a, a, a parallel situation, but DeAndre Jordan went through a couple dozen games of this last season. You know, he was playing behind, well, sometimes behind, sometimes ahead of Mitchell Robinson, who is somewhat comparable to Jared Allen. Obviously the Knicks weren't a comparable situation franchise, but... Um, I, 
I I would hope that DeAndre Jordan, if Kenny Atkinson knows what he's doing, is not going to get a ton of favor over Jared Allen unless he shows up in great shape and kind of turns his career trajectory around because he's he's more like Ennis Cantor at this point than I think people realize. He's not the defensive foot mover and rim protector that he used to be. Um and can't you know you can't depend on him as to, to you know to sort of play goalkeeper the way he used to, whereas Jared yeah. Allen is really you know he's getting better and he kind of is like that he really is a defensive centerpiece, who can move his feet and who can against smaller lineups, uh you know keep keep an offensive team honest and so, because both of those guys seem like, pretty good characters as far as I can tell and, um because. There are enough minutes to go around. I would expect and hope that even though Jordan was you know was kind of a big signing and he was part of the Durant and Kyrie package for whatever reason, um, that Allen still whether or not he's the starter is the guy who the Nets depend on more because reputation aside, I think it's not controversial to say he's a far better player <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah. and you know we'll we'll complement his teammates much better but as with any team with stars as with any team with a mix of you know veterans and youth as with any team that has a lot of good players who all need minutes there are there are some potential hurdles and you know you have to be careful and political about things but given the two people involved and I think I think the the choices should be relatively easy and it shouldn't be that complicated unless Kenny Atkinson just really wants to ride DeAndre Jordan and buries Jared Allen that that would be kind of a bad look but I, I'm I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, that would certainly be a shame given how uh, talented he has been and the, the form he's been showing as well, especially over the last season. But uh, we might as well move on to the other team that you had mentioned, of course, your uh, boyhood team, the New York Knicks. Um, it's probably easy to say that it was a tough year uh, last season. It's probably putting it lightly. Um, you guys obviously missed out on the number one pick, which turned out to be Zion. You missed out on Katie and Kyrie. But the the one thing that has been sort of standing out is obviously the number three pick that you guys got, which turned out to be RJ Barrett. Um, it's been sort of talked here and there about whether he's sort of the, the total package yet. And I, I think you've even said at certain points that you still think he's, a, he's probably probably not the, the, the ready-made player yet. Um, I think you describe him as, as a raw talent, which is probably the best way of putting it. But what do you think is, is going to be sort of a, a successful season for the Knicks? Obviously having to work Barrett into a, you know, a rotation with a lot of guys who have been around the block um, Guys like Taj Gibson, Marcus Morris, um, my colleague Jono's favorite Chicago player, Bobby Portis, but and even guys like Julius Randle, of course. But this is going to be a year of, you know, obviously it's it's a rebuilding sort of session. But if if anything's going to happen, how important do you think Barrett's going to be to that sort of um, predicament? I I don't expect much to happen in terms of them, you know, making a run or winning a bunch of games. So if you know, a thing happening to me would be, oh, these guys kind of work to well, work well together. They rank somewhat high in mm-hmm. offense or defense. You can kind of tell what they're trying to do. I think the big thing last season was the Knicks went out and made a you know a bunch of little signings, um, and they ended up handing David Fisdale a roster with sort of like I was saying with the Nets, a, a dozen guys, ten or eleven guys at each night who felt like they deserved minutes. And that's tough. That's it's tough to rotate a, mm, a team yeah. of really young guys who who need to develop, um, somewhat older guys who are you know trying to cash in on a second chance and earn some contract they just signed with you know then actual veterans, um, and this seems like a, a trumped up version of that. The Knicks signed like four or five six veterans who are now making real money. Um, and like three of them play the same position. And so, you know, good luck, David Fisdale, trying to make that work. <laughs> and not only keep everyone happy and keep everyone's mouths fed, but do something that I think the Knicks, I think everyone would agree, failed to do last season, which was develop an identity. 
Um, they were bad at offense. They were bad at defense. At no point was it clear what they were really aiming to do on either end. Even to mm-hmm. not to keep pitting the Knicks against the Nets because I'm jealous, but like <laughs> even when the Nets were, uh, you know, a, a bad team a couple years ago and just depending on young guys and had some bad contracts sitting around. Atkinson was pushing them to de- to develop a style. They were shooting a lot of threes. They they weren't a good defensive team, but they had their patterns. And the Knicks were all over the place. He, you know, Fisdale changed his lineups constantly, and they just didn't really have a style. And so that's where I think Barrett comes in. I'm not, like you said, I think he's, d- despite coming from Duke, despite being the son of an NBA player, and having this, I think, unearned and sort of unfair to him reputation of being a ready-made player He's pretty raw. He can only dribble with his left hand. He shoots a lot, but the shots have never gone in um, and don't look particularly good. He has to build an NBA game um, really from scratch. He has physical skills. He's very strong. He's a big guy. Um, you know, once once he has gathered himself and the ball is up in the air, he can power through people and get around people, and he's good at finishing right at the rim. But... He needs to learn to handle the ball. He needs to learn not how to pass, but when to pass. He needs to develop a right hand. He needs a consistent jumper. And as the Knicks develop a style, um, he's going to have the opportunity. I, I assume he's going to start from, from day one. He's going to have the opportunity to dictate some of that. They'll sort of grow together you know, as he realizes mm. what things he can do at an NBA level, which I hope are some things at this point. I I'm not certain of that, um, and what things he needs to learn to do. He's the third pick. He There's an expectation, at least by the team, that he should develop into a star. And so if that's the case, then the team's identity and the the types of shots they seek, the ways they try to stop teams on defense, could, to an extent, for lack of really uh, another guy to fill that role of leader and star, uh, be shaped around him for better or worse, um, and it, it's gonna be it's gonna be really tough for Fizdale to figure out which guys do I depend on of this like really deep group of guys who are all about the same talent level, you know which of these guys fit well together. And most of that is on him, but a little bit mm-hmm. of that is gonna be on Barrett because by default he's sort of expected to be a leader, which is a lot to ask, but it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think given the sort of younger crop of, of Knicks that are currently in there, in, been there maybe, maybe two or three years, guys like Kevin Knox, Frank Nilakina, Alonzo Trier in parts who sort of came up through last season. Um, I mean, of those sorts of, that sort of little crop of talent that's been sitting there for a little while and may or may not have been sort of performing to, I guess, New York standards, which of these sorts of players do you think might sort of take that next step? Uh, I mean, Mitchell Robinson almost doesn't have a step to take at this point. I mean, he does, of course, he has to develop. But, like, Mitchell Robinson is clearly a useful NBA player, Mm. which is exciting uh, because without him, we would be looking at the guys you just named and wondering, well, hopefully one of these guys is a useful NBA player. Um, (laughs) But Robinson, somewhat similar to Jared Allen, actually, proved in his rookie season that, you know, not only does he have the body to jump and catch alley-oops and block shots but he has an innate sense of timing he has pretty good footwork he understands space in a way that I think people didn't expect from a dude who didn't play college basketball and really hadn't played much competitively when when he set foot on the floor for the Knicks and he Mm. you know this season you know I, I think we'll be looking for him to stay out of foul trouble to maybe step outside the paint a little bit and expand his range to pass, you know, to, to be able to hand off and create a little bit and do more as a, as a roller. Um, but he's, you know, he can handle the ball unbelievably well for a guy his size. And I think the Knicks intelligently asked him to limit himself last season and just focus on the things that he was already most of the, most of the, the way there at doing. Um, but he has the potential to become much more than just a lob finisher and a guy who's you know trying to wall off the rim. But the rest of the guys yeah. you listed, I mean, it's 
it's the season for them to prove that if someday the Knicks are good, that they should be part of that. Uh, you know, Kevin Knox had his moments. He looked like he needed to get a lot stronger. And I say this a lot, but like the shots need to go in. You know, it's mm. two in a row, if you're going to shoot four of 12, just isn't that useful. That doesn't make you a good shooter. Lower body strength, upper body strength, consistency, shot selection, all factor into him. Not drastically reupholstering his game, but just getting it and becoming efficient as opposed to just showing it in flashes. Frank Nielkina needs to stay on the floor, needs to be bolder and more aggressive and understand that he's bigger than other guards and should be able to find a way to get to the rim around them, should shoot when he's open, just needs to approach the game somewhat differently or is he he's going to get traded or he has, I think, the chance to wash out of the league. I don't think he's he's been such a good defender to overcome the fact that he's been so timid on offense. Alonzo Trier needs to find a way to, you know, not just call his own number and, and be more of a team player and uh, be the type of guy that makes sense in a lineup and isn't just sort of a mercenary you put out there when everyone else sucks. And, you know, these are all, I think, potentially good young players, but the Knicks, with the exception of maybe Robinson and hopefully Barrett, although I'm not counting on it, don't have someone, even after having some lottery picks, even, you know, being a bad team that can give minutes to these type of people, don't have more than one or two people, you know, under the age of 23, 24, that you look at and say, like, this is definitely someone to build around, which is disappointing. But there, I think everyone we've named still has the potential to develop into that kind of player. Um, and it, it's going to say a lot about Fisdale and the Knicks and the individuals themselves, whether they get to that point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know, which of those players comes up in the next sort of 12 to 24 months. Um, there's certainly a few pieces there. Uh, that could easily make the jump. But um, hopefully for your sake, Seth, and for the rest of the league, uh, the Knicks can provide something a little more promising this year. Um, as, of course, we now move on to the Philadelphia 76ers. The team, it could be argued, you know, is is probably going to make that next step uh, following the, the changes that have happened to the Toronto Raptors, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But really, they've only lost a couple of major pieces, you know, guys like JJ Redick and Jimmy Butler, who have, you know, really been those sort of key shot takers um, and sort of pr- productive point scorers, it could be said. But um, really the big one that they've cu- uh, got back, of course, apart from Josh Richardson, who could really well be a, an important uh, replacement for Jimmy Butler, is Al Horford, uh, who's come over from the Celtics. And really that's going to be the interesting part Um and that's something that Jono wanted to ask about as well um, and get your thoughts on was how you think Horford's going to fit in with Embiid. Because obviously this is Embiid's team, probably along with Ben Simmons, but how do you think he's going to fit in? Obviously they can't play them both at the same time. You've obviously got Demise Harris in power forward. So do you think that they might sort of use Horford as a, as a bench player, as a, as a role player? Um, and do you think that they might be able to make that sort of work? Yeah, no, that I, I hope Brett Brown sees that as a project because I think the 2019 pace and space, everyone's trying to be the, you know, the 2015 Warriors orthodoxy would tell you, well, obviously Tobias Harris is the power forward. You know, Joel Embiid and Al Horford is too many centers. You can only play one at a time because spacing matters most and this and that. And I could see that being the default and the, 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 the Sixers could be really good if they follow that orthodoxy um, and might find that they have a glut and want to make a trade, whatever it might be. I would love to see the Sixers, I would love to see Brett Brown look at his roster and the lineups available, him, available to him and experiment and really turn the tide and... I think I used the phrase on Twitter, like, make two-pointers cool again. I think that, yes, Horford and Embiid are both big guys who fill some of the same space on the floor, but I think that they don't overlap so much and they they have the skills necessary that 
I really, I think you could play them together. I think you can play them together with Simmons. I think you could play them, you know, a lineup that's big and not full of shooting of Simmons, Josh Richardson, Harris, Horford, and Embiid. You just kind of need to reinvent, not reinvent, but like go back to somewhat old ways of basketball and innovate within that framework and don't try to be the Warriors. And I think it would be so cool if Brett Brown tries to build a system that on one hand is getting out and really attacking in transition. Um, and Bede and Horford obviously aren't going to run the floor with you, but they can grab rebounds and serve as great outlet passers and sort of quarterbacks for a fast break offense. And between Simmons, Richardson, and Harris, I think that's a really dangerous full court attack that off of a miss and an outlet pass can put up pretty elite transition numbers. And even off of makes could just by the virtue of Simmons and Richardson alone really kill people in transition. But then even in the half court, yeah, they don't have Redick anymore. They don't have they don't have shooting in in a way that uh, teams I think really freak out about these days because again everyone's trying to be the Warriors everyone's trying to be the Rockets but what if you know they are the first team because the the big men can pass where a two big man high low system actually works where an offense can be built around handoffs and around actual efficiency in mid-range shooting and around you know drawing a lot of fouls and getting to the rim and not depending on this idea of spacing and gravity, or at least not in the traditional sense. Um, I, I, I love an opportunity to experiment and to really change the way basketball is played. And a bunch of teams did that recently in, in making you know three-pointers the main thing they leaned on and using the the prospect of stretching the court out 25, 26, 27 feet to create opportunities down low. That isn't the only way to play basketball, even if it feels like it in the last couple of years. And the Sixers have not just different players, but different and really good and really intelligent players. And I think particularly because those giant players, Simmons, Embiid, and Horford are such good passers, you can build a team that is super efficient on offense despite its lack of spacing. And even on defense, you know, those guys can move their feet. That's a little bit tougher of a of a sell because other teams are going to be small and shooting. But I would love the Sixers to play big, two-point oriented, bullish basketball that's dependent on a lot of passing, a lot of handoffs, a lot of tight space. And it might not look great and it might not look anything like we've seen before and it might not work immediately but I I think there's an opportunity there and I would be disappointed if they are you know they don't play to their strengths and just try to emulate other teams by diminishing some of the immense talent that they have yeah I think it's it's an interesting uh, period for the Sixers with the sort of styles that you were sort of talking about especially uh, the one that's really coming up in the Australian media is of course Ben Simmons who's who signed that big contract quite recently um he's been pretty vocal about going into the gym all buff and shirtless you know and the the talk of him making his three-point shots over the the uh, summer break has been the big talk for him um it's interesting because he had the the pieces around him who could probably stretch the floor and shoot longer shots um last season guys like jimmy butler a little bit but also even guys like um Embiid who you know, for his size, was able to shoot um, a pretty decent three-point shot. But where do you think Ben Simmons needs to go um, next? And do you think he's he's you know capable of hitting that real elite level if he can um, produce his jump shot? For sure, if he is going to start hitting even eighteen footers, let alone threes, he would be basically an unstoppable player. I didn't see anything in those videos he was posting this summer that suggests to me he has figured out how to shoot. I I saw some really ugly shots happening to go in, you know, where his his footwork was basically backwards. Um, I don't, that doesn't bother me. Like I said, I think, I think the Sixers have an opportunity to do something completely different. And I'm, 
I'm kind of over the fact that he can't shoot. If he learns to do that someday, that's great. I, especially shooting free mm-hmm. throws. You got to do that. Yeah. And so yeah. it's not something to stop working on. But he is so good at so many other things that just build around that. Work, work with that. You know, mm-hmm. get him in transition. Give him opportunities to pass and get to the rim and cut, you know, use him off the ball. I, it just doesn't bother me that much. And like I said, I think the league is at a point where the, idea, the, the concept of a player not shooting because shooting is so popular and so successful is seen as this big problem, but it doesn't have to be that way. There, you know, there are plenty of great players that have deficiencies, and I think he can be one of those, and shooting is allowed to be a deficiency. You just need to play a certain way. Um, and one way to do that is to surround him with shooters. Another way to do that is to become so efficient at making twos that you're not as worried about threes. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 I think it takes a pretty special team to, to do that, but I'm so hopeful, not because I like the Sixers and want them to succeed, but because I like basketball innovation and I like you know, when people aren't just copying each other. I think the Sixers have that potential, and he, you know what better face for that team than a dude who you can't tell whether he's left-handed or right-handed when he shoots the ball. He's awful. At that. <laughs> it was it was pretty chunky. I I will admit, but um, I mean, it would be a bold comparison to make. But you know, even a guy like Giannis had that very sort of similar, um, you know, rangy transition game. Was a good passer. Probably not great with a shot, but really that's got to be the benchmark for him. Obviously, Giannis making the MVP um, should be motivation enough, um, not only for um, him personally, but even you know, as a a sixer trying to get up to the Bucks level. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he can take it this season, um, and perhaps he may be trusted upon to to you know take more shots and. Um, be a little bit more adventurous with his play because um, I, f- I feel like throughout last season teams were sort of figuring him out and sort of you know even almost goading him to uh, take a take a shot or a three point shot um, in that sense. But yeah, that'll be the interesting point. But um, of course, we now finish up with the NBA champion Toronto Raptors, um, Mr. Brendan White's team. They've really had their heart and soul ripped out um, in the form of Kawhi Leonard um, and another big piece as well in the form of Danny Green, both moving to the Clippers and the Lakers respectively. Other than that, there hasn't been too much movement. They've retained pretty much you know, most of the team that won them um, that ring last season. But you've got to think, like, are they struggling? Are they going to struggle to stay in the division or... Where do you see them placing this season? I sort of see it as either Kyle Lowry is about to have relatively late in his career a peak and relish the opportunity to be the only guy handling a ball and creating. Or, yeah, they're going to take a backslide. Because, you know, you called Kawhi Leonard their heart and soul. And for a year he was, but it's not like by removing Kawhi and Danny Green, you go back to the way things were before because their real heart and soul was kind of DeMar DeRozan alongside Lowry, and he's gone. So they have not scaled back to the Raptors, the old familiar Raptors. They have scaled back to it's Lowry. Pascal Siakam is way better than we thought he was and, you know, is a really productive player as sort of the second guy. They still have Marcus Gasol, and they're still quite deep, but this is not a, a version of the Raptors we have seen before at least in a really long time and it's a lot to ask of a dude who's put a lot of mileage on his legs for you know to say to Kyle Lowry all right you're the guy again you know you don't have basically a Terminator machine semi-cyborg human being and Kawhi Leonard to like depend on anymore (laughs) you have to be the guy that's a lot and so yeah I, I, I hope it's not disappointing or upsetting to Raptors fans that like they might not be very good. They might backslide. They might go back to being a team that needs to build a little bit, needs to bring in some young talent, might need to to strip down a bit and start over. I hope after winning a championship that that isn't too alarming or upsetting because like, they, they 
pulled off something that a lot of people have attempted and almost never works, which is to sort of throw everything away and go for broke. And they had a one-year window to do it. It's clear that Kawhi wasn't going to stay no matter what because no matter what happened, and he didn't stay. Uh, and it worked. They won a championship. That's amazing. And so, mm-hmm. like, what better cover for not being great this season and, you know, taking the opportunity to maybe move on from Lowry and maybe start to rebuild around Siakam and try to bring in, you know, new ball handlers. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe even in what appears to be a, quite a good Atlantic division, they they have what it takes because they have such a culture and such depth and Lowry's about to have a great season. Maybe they are going to make a real playoff run. But I would think because of the division they're in and because they lost Kawhi Leonard, who is like the last player I would want to lose from my team, and try and try to you know run it back. Um, I don't think of them as anything more than like a at best a, a low playoff team. You know that tries to make a run out of a six, seven, or eight seed. But I could be wrong about that. Um, and I just don't think that's that's a disappointment. I hope that doesn't hurt that much for Raptors people. I I think they've experienced you know enough joy yeah. over the last season to to last a lifetime. Um, and as a Phoenix fan, I wish I could have felt that at some point. But um, yeah, but uh, it's it's interesting to see who they've brought in for this season. You know, a couple of guys who, much in the same way that the the Knicks brought in a couple of guys who'd been bandied around the league a bit. You know, guys like Stanley Johnson, Cameron Payne, um, Rondé Hollis Jefferson um, appears to be probably like the biggest sort of brought in. Um, he he had his struggles at, at Brooklyn. Um, injuries probably hampered him a bit more than he would like to say, but obviously he, he will probably be coming off the bench um, to, to back up Siakam. But if he's fit and firing, like I think he could be, you know, a very solid backup um, solution for them. And, and, do you do you feel that he might be able to be you know that sort of helping piece for them because they've obviously got a lot of you know quality options um, around the sort of center and, and power forward position guys like Gasol and Ibaka like you said um, and especially Siakam who came on leaps and bounds last year but for me personally from what I'd seen from Hollis Jefferson he he has you know the potential to to really provide a very solid backup piece do you do you feel the same? Sure. He's he's had a rough couple of years, just hasn't had the opportunities because he's been hurt. And, I, you know, he, unlike Ben Simmons, is a guy who I think really does need to figure out how to shoot a little bit. Um, but right there in Siakam, you have, like, the ideal trajectory for Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Siakam came into the league as kind of a similar player where it's like, man, this guy cannot do anything far away from the rim. Siakam, if I remember correctly, was statistically like one of the worst shooters who actually shot in the NBA a couple years ago. And mm. if the Raptors could build the Pascal Siakam we now know and love out of that raw talent, then maybe Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has something. Uh, you know, step one for him will be staying healthy. Um and if he's healthy, there's a clear role. You know, he's a good enough player at, at defending and just knowing where he's supposed to be, um, that he can come off the bench and be merely useful, which would be big for him, just for people to remember he's in the league and he's around and, and to stay healthy and be part of a good team would be, a, I think, a successful season for Rondé. But um, the Raptors have demonstrated that they can really capitalize on a player's skills and build on his weaknesses. And Hollis Jefferson seems to me like an individual who presents a great opportunity for them to do that. And yeah, he's, he's honestly like not someone I had thought about a lot when considering whether or not the Raptors would stay good, whether they could build with what they already have, but there's still potential there. And Mm. I think based on their track record, Toronto is a very well equipped team to, if there is anything to be made from Rondé Hollis-Jefferson to be the ones that, that get the most out of him. Yeah, I think he's one of those players who can really sort of bounce back from a, a pretty tough sort of 12 to 24 months, and I think he has a, has a shot here. Uh, it's really a, a situation where the, the eyes aren't really going to be on him as much, uh, given 
what's happened with Toronto, but I think it'll be a good opportunity for him. And um, yeah, so we've been given, well, we've been making our uh, Atlantic Division predictions, um, the three of us, uh, myself, Jono and Brendan. Um, Brendan seems to think that Philadelphia will top the division with 52 and 30. Um, he, as a Toronto fan, he's a bit adventurous and, and thinks Toronto's going to make 50 wins and 32 losses. Um, I personally can't see that, to be honest. I think uh, I, it's a tough one. It's Boston and Brooklyn really going for that second spot. But yeah, I, I've, I've heard that Jono um, thinks that Brooklyn's going to finish above Toronto. Um, I think there's a bet involved with that, so we might be finding out about that in the uh, the next couple of episodes. But um, yeah, do you do you seem to have any sort of uh, predictions for the general, um, like the division at large? Uh, well, the easy one is the Knicks at the bottom. I think that's. <laughs> I, I think some Knicks fans would tell you otherwise, but I think they are the one team that is clearly not going to have a winning record. I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel that's particularly controversial, though Knicks fans are more sanguine than I am. I, I think I agree with putting the Sixers at the top. They have the most consistency from year over year, and I think there's a chance that they've improved, like I said, if, if Brett Brown really leans into what he has. Um, and then, I yeah, it's a tough split at two and three, but I, I think that's the Nets and the Celtics in either order. If I, if I had to bet on it, I think I would put the Nets as second best in the division and most likely to crack 50 wins. Um but then I would say the Celtics, and then I think the Raptors aren't a losing team, but are a very strong fourth place, followed by the Knicks. Hmm. I mean, that's pretty solid picks there, and I'd, I'd almost say the same, to be honest. But um, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Atlantic Division. We hope you've enjoyed um, our little chat and debate here. Um, and I should thank my very special guest, Seth Rosenthal, for this one. Um, you can always follow SB Nation on Twitter at SB Nation and definitely go check out their website, sbnation.com, as well as their YouTube channel uh, to check out all the content that Seth is making. Anything else you want to add, Seth? No, sir. Watch basketball. <laughs> that is a very good message indeed. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time that we have today from myself, Matthew Tilby, and from my very special guest, Seth Rosenthal. It is good. Take care. Hey everyone, Matt here again, just quickly before you go, just to let you know that we are of course now on Spotify and on iTunes, so if you've been enjoying what we've been doing recently, head on over to iTunes and give us a, a nice review and, and a rating, and that certainly helps us out quite a bit. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at WeAre8Bit, you can follow me on Twitter at It's Tilby, Jono at Jono himself, and Mr. Brendan White at Brendan8Bit. But uh, we will see you very soon. Take care.